Hi everyone, you're listening to In-Depth Film, a podcast dedicated to the art of cinema. My name is Greg Bucker. And I'm Greg Kotzer. You can support this channel by liking this video, sharing it with your friends, or subscribing to our channel. Your support really means a lot to us. We'd also love to hear what you think. So leave a comment in the comment section below. So Greg, what's new? Well, I'm halfway through the edit of my animation breakdown video on Belto. Uh, it's really exciting to see it coming together. You know, I've been talking to you for quite some time about this first video of mine. And uh, yeah, just feeling super excited about uh, wrapping it up and, and finally releasing it on my channel In-Depth Annie. Uh, I'm also feeling very excited about the recent success of, you know, relative success of our last podcast about Mulan. I think it has almost a thousand views and it's earned us quite a few subscribers, which is very encouraging. And I'm also feeling quite motivated by the progress that you and I have made on our latest feature film project. Um, yeah, well, I've been very excited by that. Um, and for those of you out there, um, just to give you a little bit of background, we've sort of had this story in our heads for a little while, um, which we now really trying to compress and create a new version of that bigger story, um, but hopefully create a film, a screenplay for something that we'll be able to film in the near future. Yeah, so the story name that we have right now, the film name, I should say, is Another Man's Son. And the story writing process is a, a kind of a new process that you and I have slowly but surely developed. Over but, many years of writing. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's so um, interesting for me personally just to, you know, almost be some, you know, it's like when I'm present with you writing, there's a side of me that's very much there but there's also a part of me that's kind of observing from the outside and it's so interesting from the outsider perspective to look in at us and see how kind of we've we've changed and grown and and creatively matured uh and, and uh it's such a it's such a interesting um and uh encouraging experience because i think when you're in your early 20s trying to make films the art of cinema can sometimes seem so mystifying and so strange and complex and, and kind of cryptic. Yes, it's quite a cryptic process. And definitely, I think we've both found that the longer we work on screenplays and writing and collaborating together, the easier and quicker these uh, sort of scripts come together. Uh, it really is a case of the more you do it, the more you're able to realize how you're able to leverage drama and um and just write better screenplays and in a more effective manner. Yeah. Yeah. So today's movie that we're going to discuss um, actually has a lot to do with screenwriting. It was written by Aaron Sorkin and has a very acclaimed screenplay. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a background about what we're talking about today? Yeah, Gray. So today we are talking about the social network and the reason we've decided to talk about this film in our podcast is that it's been 10 whole years since the release of this film and in those 10 years while many films might have aged the social network seems to only mature and get better well it's i mean 
even the the very concept of the social network is still a very relevant concept today. I mean, it's been dominating news for however long and you have these new documentaries coming out on Netflix like The Social Dilemma. So it's clearly still a topic and uh, a point of discussion that's very relevant in society. So we thought we'd go back and give it a rewatch, which we did last night, and just, yeah, go over and see if it's aged well and um, what stood out out to us as we were watching it uh, about the about the film yeah so to give you some basic information uh, just so that we're all on the same page i think it's important that we just go over some of the uh, credits so the film was directed by david fincher the screenplay was written as we've said by aaron sorkin it was based on a book called the accidental billionaires by ben mesrich and the film starred Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, Army Hammer, and Max Minghella. And I think Rooney Mara also appeared. And it yeah. was, I think we're right in saying one of her first sort of breakout roles. Yeah, I think that was the, the film where she emerged onto the scene, one could say. Yes. The film was edited by Angus Wall and Kirk Baxter. The music was created by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. And yeah, it was produced by Columbia Pictures and Relativity Media, along with a few other production smaller, companies. smaller production companies. Yes, um, yeah. And sorry, just interestingly, the film was made on a budget of $40 million and it earned $224 million, rounded up, you could say $225 million at the box office. Yeah, which is pretty incredible. And like most Fincher films, it's been both a commercial success as well as a critical success. Um, And uh, it's definitely, I would say, one of the stronger films he's made, if not one of his strongest films uh, in his filmography. So maybe it's best that we take a step back in time and actually return to 2010. You and I were both 18. We were in our matric year at high school. We were both very passionate about movies, even back then. I personally can remember being very excited about this film. And I remember really enjoying the the experience of watching it. Even back then, you know, Facebook had been out. We'd been using it, I think, for three years. I, I first got my account when I was 15. Yeah, I mean, in 2010, it was still a relatively new platform, at least globally. Yes. Yeah. It, I mean, in 2010, the, the kind of big number at the time that was used to promote the film was 500 million users which 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 now seems like nothing yeah yeah just shows the exponential growth the company's gone through yeah but yeah i also remember actually going to the cinema to watch this i remember that there'd been quite a bit of awards buzz if i remember correctly around the film Mm. and you know david fincher's a name that if you are at all interested in filmmaking uh, you are definitely familiar with so I think, yeah, I was definitely excited to watch it at the time. And I remember watching it at the time and loving it and thinking it was a very, very strong work of drama. And I especially loved the screenplay. I remember I even went home and actually downloaded the screenplay uh, so that I could read through it because, yeah, there's some incredible one-liners, at least I thought that when I was 18. And uh, yeah, I really appreciated uh, some of the writing. 
I think it's also worth mentioning that while these days social media is very much a part of our lives and let's say the kind of coder or developer culture has become very mainstream, you know, back in 2010, it was still something uh, mysterious and kind of uh, on, on the fringe, let's say. It was a little bit more of a novelty. Yeah, yeah, there was more of a novelty to it. And the reason I'm saying this is because it's important to understand the significance of the of, a, of an esteemed director like David Fincher, mm. who'd worked with very traditional storytelling. He'd made some excellent, well-known Hollywood films. And here he was dealing with subject matter, which was very modern and very kind of uh, at the cutting edge and almost, uh, uh, I mean, I, 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 uh, I'm hesitant to use the word nerdy without sounding making it sound like a derogatory thing. Yeah. But, but at the time, that's what that kind of culture was considered it was considered to be kind of a like a nerd developer culture yes and 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 the combination of this nerd developer culture with the with these huge numbers like billions of dollars you know mm. um I, I think that it created this really interesting subject matter that that he obviously wanted to deal with yes and i mean obviously at the time it was it was very rapidly becoming one of the biggest businesses in the world. Yeah. But even still, I don't think in 2010, anyone had fully realized just how much this one website would influence humanity, really, and, and society going forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is an influential website. And uh, I think we'll get to that a little bit when we start discussing the story uh, a bit more. But uh, yeah, that's something... To consider. Before we move on, though, Greg, I just want to emphasize what you're saying. I think I think you're spot on. I think that one of the things that came over me last night while watching it was just this realization that this is a very very powerful film because, like you say, it, it represents a turning point in our culture, a turning point in history itself, perhaps. And none of us really knew, like you say, back in 2010, just how potent this turning point would be yes and i think you mentioned it's interesting that you mentioned uh the sort of early hacking movie or whatever you want to call it this this nerd culture and i think finch's take on it what's made it so what's made it last so well is that his his take on it was very mature he he took a very mature stance on telling the story and i think that's part of the reason why it's it's aged very well because if you look at a lot of the other sort of hacking movies now you'll kind of look back at them and they they seem very outdated or they will maybe look at social media from a very extremist point of view uh yeah and i think finch's take the maturity of his take yeah has really aged well yeah uh you know you, you just made me made me think now that uh Traditionally, hacker movies, which are in a sense a kind of sub sub genre within the genre of science fiction, let's say, um, hacker movies tend to be quite, um, let's say, rebellious in nature. They're about people on the fringe, people who are opposed to the system. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really striking about the social network is that here we have this strange hacker type movie. It's about people who code, about people who are developers, who people who understand this mysterious language Mm. you know and who very much fit into the kind of uh, hacker um, character or or, or trope Um, uh, and but unlike the previous hacker films we've seen 
um, these hackers, these developers are actually part of the system and changing the system and building it new elements on the system and it's i think that's what i that's what i now that i think about it that's what i really enjoy about this film but the strange contrast of of this previously nerd fringe hacker mentality or yes. world coming face to face and joining forces with the corporate system yeah. which previously it had been opposed to and that's something that is just so interesting it's kind um, of the transition of this world into mainstream culture it's taking yeah. this little fringe group of people and and yeah, creating a global network where everyone knows this website and yeah. making it mainstream. So the main point that I'm trying to get across, and after this point, let's get into the let's start with our, our the points that we made last night. But the main point that I'm trying to make right now is that the bottom line for me is that this film is about a really, really powerful moment in our history in our culture and it therefore is something of a of a rarity i mean it's seldom that a film kind of distills or embalms a moment in history like like the social network which is just as influential as this moment yeah yeah and as i say though there have been other movies that have kind of broached this topic way back then um but i think partly through finch's directing he's given this film the social network a real timeless quality so i think it's a combination of the subject matter and how important that subject matter would um would be in future years as well as finch's approach to directing it yes i I think that something else um that i've just thought of again now and then I mean this. I mean this uh, for real now. And then we then we must get on with the points <laughs> that we made. Sorry, but there's so many wonderful things to say about this movie. So I think the last thing I just want to say uh, before we move on is that I think what makes this film unique and and interesting is that typically films that are made about big moments in history are made decades after or even centuries yes. after those moments have occurred. Mm. So, for example, we've seen movies about edison and tesla or i mean um, this year or last year we see movies about world war one coming out yeah we, we 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 we've seen films like uh, deal with big moments in history but always after the fact yeah always with years of hindsight to to draw from and i think what made the social network so unique was that for the first time ever we had a story unfolding before our eyes about the present moment yes we had this groundbreaking kind of um distillation of a turning point that we were all living through and that gave the film at the time i remember this distinctly it gave the film a very unique kind of aura it it made the film sort of uniquely prescient you know yes and uniquely relevant to everyone that watched it yes that's a good point relevant mostly had social media accounts and could totally identify with this experience and because of the ubiquitous excuse me because of the um is the word ubiquity could be i'm not sure oh let me say this a different way because social media is now so ubiquitous Mm. the film continues to be relevant and i think that's that's again one of the strange but wonderful aspects of this film that few other films share. Yes, yeah. And 
I mean, sort of slowly coming into the story side, what, it, what I love about it is it's also this fantastic turning point where they're the, almost these two worlds in the film. And the one is this world before social media and the one is this world after social media. Mm. And this film kind of deals with both of these worlds and the transition into this world where social media is now dominating the global landscape. So I think that's a great moment for us both to start now at the beginning of the film. Mm. Let's so let, we've made a couple of big overarching statements. Yes. Let's come now into the detail. Well, I've just thought now, I mean, even how the film both begins and ends, it's sort of bookmarked on either side by two very different experiences. The one is very much a pre-social media world where he's Mark's the Mark Zuckerberg character is physically meeting with his girlfriend in a bar and they're friends and they're talking and it's real life. And it ends, it's bookmarked at the end by him going onto her profile and just clicking and scrolling through her profile. And it almost shows this this transition that's occurred from a more um, visceral, real-world experience to this online removed experience. That's one of the things I took away from this. I, I, just, to, just to add some meat to what you're saying, I think it's important for... You know, there may be listeners who aren't familiar with this film. Mm. Just to catch everyone up, in a nutshell, the social network uh, chronicles the story of Mark Zuckerberg as he goes from being a Harvard um, student who's studying computer science, who's trying to win the approval of girls, namely the first girl we meet in the film, who's played by Rooney Mara, who is his girlfriend at the time. Who? She, basically breaks up with him during that first scene. Yeah, she breaks up with him in the first five minutes. And the film kind of chronicles Mark's attempts to almost get revenge or to prove himself to her in some way. And he does this by trying to get into elite social clubs at the at Harvard University. But ultimately, he comes up with Facebook, which in turn is like creating the... It's, it's, in the film, it's sort of... Um, it's, it's made to appear as if he's is he's creating the ultimate social club. He's almost creating the club of all clubs. Yes. And and so really the story, uh, while it may have a very complex corporate side in real life, in the film it's very much about this strange emotional arc from young man trying to uh, win the approval of a girl um, to, you know, prideful, arrogant, ambitious businessman who ironically is actually pursuing everything to do the very first thing he tried to do in the beginning of the film. Exactly. I'm sorry if that's uh, a lot a mouthful, but that's uh, the best I can do right now. No, exactly. And then is ultimately, with all the power that he finally has, is left feeling a bit empty, despite having all this power and achieving what he set out to. Yeah. Which is quite, I think we talked about this yesterday, it's quite a Shakespearean almost idea of um, storytelling. It's a very... It's quite a simple storytelling um, technique. And as you say, it's underpinned by all this legal drama and business drama throughout the film. But at its core, it's a very simple progression uh, of story uh, from this power-hungry character that's able to attain power and then is left with a, a feeling of emptiness. And for me, it kind of reminds me of this sort of Citizen Kane, Great Gatsby, that, that kind of template of story. Mm, yeah interesting so i'd like us to try and actually discuss some of some of, some of the, the details now because 
um, again, I feel like we're, we're almost speaking too broadly. So the first five minutes of the film takes place in a bar. Um, we see Mark Zuckerberg. He's with his girlfriend, who's, like we said, played by Rooney Mara. And we have this incredible back and forth between them, this really wonderful exchange of ideas, of feelings. Um, w- what was your impression last night, just watching this again? Well, one of the first things that comes up is just the punchy nature of the dialogue. It's that classic Aaron Sorkin dialogue, which is very quick, very witty. Um, it's almost like machine gun dialogue. It's like, bah, 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 line, 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 line. Not much breathing room, um, which is quite a unique style. Um, how, how did you kind of feel about that, that dialogue? Well, the dialogue is obviously one of the most famous aspects of the story. I think people will always remember the film for its incredibly sharp, um, like you say, machine gun fire exchanges. Um, I think what I was reflecting on last night, watching it, I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. I've seen it multiple times. Yeah. But um, watching it again last night, I just was reflecting on how the dialogue is actually performing a very interesting function in the film. And mm-hmm. I think that what it's doing is it's amplifying the gravitas of the events that are unfolding before our eyes. Yes. Because as you and I mentioned last night, as we watched the film, the reality is that that these conversations never happened. People don't talk like Aaron Sorkin writes. Yes. No one is that sharp. No one thinks on the spot that quickly. No one is that acerbic. Mm. And I think that the point that I'm trying to make is that in order for Aaron Sorkin to convey a kind of a, for him to elevate the story to the extraordinary level which it deserves to be experienced at. Yes. He can't, you know, don the characters and capes and have explosions. You know, it has to take place in a very dull, mundane, ordinary world. So the only way, if you think yeah, about it, to counteract that realism. You're right. The only way to kind of yeah, counterbalance the mundanity of the of the visual of the visual experience mm. is to elevate the experience of the uh, dialogue. Yes. Um, because it's like one aspect that of, of it, it's one way of it's it's a form of exaggeration that that is common in the tradition of playwriting of theater of drama of 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 staged stories we for hundreds of years even going back to Shakespeare people have been watching stories unfold with very colorful dialogue and very colorful language which ironically almost draws more truth out of stories than ordinary uh, normal dialogue realistic dialogue exactly because it's expressive yeah it's interesting you mentioned the theatrical side to it because i can almost imagine this being performed on a stage it's like it it almost has that kind of feeling i think the the term we used last night when we were briefly discussing it was the idea of a heightened reality creating this almost melodramatic dialogue bordering on melodrama um, that really heightens the normality of these conversations to this sort of Shakespearean level, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's also very functional writing. I I would say um, there's no there's no fat in the script. Like it's all very trimmed down. All the scenes that we we watch are very functional scenes. It's because at its core, it's a very complex story, um, and Sorkin writes it very cleverly to 
to make sure that it's still very engaging despite the quite dense subject matter. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, that, uh, that dialogue, the, the metaphor that I came up with last night was imagine um, a series of shapes or a variety of shape, um, objects being laid out on a table and then imagine a blanket being uh, used to cover all the shapes. Mm. So the obviously the shapes, cre- the, the objects, um, you know, have edges which the fabric falls over. Yes. And so from this... From above, we, we, we can kind of sort of make out what the objects might be. Mm. But the reality is that the blanket is so loose as it covers them that we can't really make, make, make out a the, definite outline. Yeah, we can't, we can't figure out the truth of the shape or the object. Mm. And, and how thinking about the function of Aaron Sorkin's dialogue, it's almost as if what his dialogue does is it vacuum seals or it, 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 it sucks out the air from that blanket. And so what happens is like, like what happens when you vacuum pack you know, cheese or some kind of uh, food for, for storage, um, the covering takes the shape of the object. And in doing so, it reveals, one could say, the truth of the object. Uh, and that's how I think about stories. Stories are like this blanket that we put over reality. Mm. And then using clever techniques, we can either reveal the truth of, of reality in a, in, a, in, a, in a different way, or we can um, uh, you know, hide the truth. Um, uh, this, this is quite it's an abstract It's an interesting way of thinking about story. Though. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. a, a documentary would be no blanket. That's one way of thinking about yes, it. Yes, exactly. Drama is to throw a blanket over it and to kind of show it in a different way. Yes, or yeah. almost mold reality. Yeah, and uh, show a specific take on how you portray reality. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Gray, I think the other thing that I wanted to say, man, which which you and I talked a lot about last night, was this really interesting idea that the first five minutes is so powerful as well, because if you if you watch carefully and take note, what you'll notice is that the whole film, in a sense, is encapsulated in those first five minutes. Yeah, it's great for first five minutes. It's this perfect setup. And I was wondering if you could just speak to the way in which the film, in a way, is kind of summarized in those first five. We almost see his whole journey take place in those first five minutes. Well, exactly. As you say, the first conversation is between Zuckerberg and his, at the time, girlfriend. And it very, it very quickly introduces both their characters so it shows that Zuckerberg is this very focused character who's, who's uh, how would you describe him? Okay, sorry, can, can I just add there? Sure. Um, and, and it's funny because we actually said this about our own story this morning. Yes. I think that what the scene does initially is it sets up two opposing philosophies, yep. which, 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 which are in combat throughout the whole film. Yeah, yeah. They sort of are on a collision course from from the first word just about yeah i mean the first scene is ultimately a, a fight scene it's like <laughs> yeah. it really does set up that dynamic straight from straight from the first conversation yeah i think what i what i take from that first um first five minutes i know we're spending a lot of time talking about the first five minutes but they really are spectacular um and it's such a powerful introduction to the film i think what we see is we see the old world represented by the Rooney Mara character. Who's not overly interested in technology. Yeah. More she's interested in real life experiences. Yeah. She's not too concerned about status. Yes. And that's a, that's a huge theme that's set up in the beginning of the, the film is status. Yes. And networking. 
right? Um, she's so if you think about her, she's she makes eye contact. Mm. She's very much of the world. Um, she's comfortable around other people. Yeah. She's she's got a, she's friends with the doorman. She's networked into the real world. Yes. Her friends exactly. her friends are the real world, right? And she's trying to have a conversation with this guy about the things that matter. You know, and what is he talking about? He's talking about these elite social clubs. Yeah. He's talking about status. He's mm. he's dismissive of her education. Yeah. He's he's uh, he's condescending about her relationship with the doorman. Yes. Um, he, in other words, we see this. Um, we see this opposing these opposing philosophies of the old world and the kind of new arrival of a, of a, of a disconnected. Um, disconnect from reality kind yeah. of yeah. i mean at one point he even says to her she she's she starts to um she starts to break up with him and he said she's he says to her is this real yes he almost can't even yeah can't even uh make a distinction between reality and yeah. and unreality yeah and how amazing that in, in a way what we're seeing play out in, the, in that scene is a conversation between the future and the past that's exactly what it is. It's a good way of describing. We're seeing a conversation take place between the emergence of an increasingly disconnected, prideful, self-centered generation of people who are socially awkward and therefore will rely on these tools, right? Yes. And 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 maybe that leads us into the next scene in which the nerdy, disconnected, self-centered hackers kind of in a, in this beautiful montage they kind of reclaim the 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 sort of uh, social network really yes yeah because yeah. It, it's so, a, so, it's a very clever montage so the montage is set up that while zuckerberg and his roommates are sort of coming up with uh, this new app or new website it's intercut beautifully with these elite social clubs and this party that they're having so it's cutting between these these two worlds where the one world is quite um uh very serious the world of zuckerberg is very serious and they they're very deliberate about what they're doing and we know sitting in the audience that what they're doing is ultimately going to lead to facebook and huge success and one of the biggest companies in the world and it's intercut with this college scene of these what are perceived as these elite circles and yet all they're doing is partying and drinking and dancing and doing drugs and yeah and it seems quite quite flimsy and, and it's almost this strange again watching it last night with kind of having having read a lot more having experienced life a lot more uh, since i last saw the film what i kind of saw in that in that montage was it was almost like the fall of rome kind of this yes like this like just this a generation the kind of the last generation who could get away with this excess mm. um we, and and seeing seeing that kind of excess juxtaposed with the kind of determination of a new emerging elite yes. the the who who were going to upend in a revolutionary way were going to steal basically using their intellect they were going to steal the exclusivity and the money and the wealth of that previous generations had had kind of kept for themselves. Yeah. And there was also some irony there in the fact that what Zuckerberg and his friends are doing is almost targeting these people because the product they're creating is very directly for these people who are partying. Yeah. So they're 
on the one hand, breaking down these social clubs and opening it up to everyone. And at the same time, they they are the audience and the target of this software is creating. Yeah. yeah. I think that the film is also an interesting film to return to in light of the fact that The Social Dilemma was recently released on Netflix, which is all about the effects of social media on our lives, on our mental health, etc. And watching this film again last night, I was just so taken aback by how it... And again, David Finch and them couldn't really have known what they were doing when they did this. It was, I think it was too early. Um, I'm sure they had a little bit of insight. I'm sure they did. But, but, like, but it's aged very well. That's yes. what I'm trying to say. Yes. But, but what we see in the film is we see that we see how these developers, Mark Zuckerberg, Dustin, I think it was Moskowitz, yes. and, and Eduardo Saverin, we see how they, right from the beginning, were very cleverly taking advantage or pulling on the the strings of human psychology they were tapping into our need for um, our need for status they were tapping into the desire for hookups and sex and um, um, parties and social activity and they were creating tools even though they they had good intentions at the time we, we understand now with a bit of hindsight that in actual fact, what they were doing was they were kind of like hijacking the, the human psyche. Yes. They, they, were, they were taking control of our base desires and using them to create these really powerful platforms, which would change the whole world, you know? Totally, totally. Um, well, unless you want to discuss the story a bit more, I was going to maybe get into some of the more technical aspects of the yes. filmmaking. Let's do that. Such as the cinematography and the editing and all of this. Um, so maybe starting with the cinematography it was shot by Jeff Cronenworth and I think who you have worked with <laughs> yeah <laughs> who I was lucky enough to work with on a commercial um, and I think the cinematography goes a long way in in informing the story it's really beautifully shot it's very clean very simple all the movements very stable um, it's a lot of the the grade and the light is takes on this sort of uh, sodium vapor tungsten yellowy color. So, so Gray, as someone who's not as familiar with cinematography as you are, mm -hmm. um, what do you think motivated the style of cinematography? What, what why did Jeff Cronenworth and David Fincher decide to go with this visual style? Um, well, as I said, I I think the main word that comes to me is clean, and I think it's a story that the, the cleanliness of, of the cinematography almost aligns with the slightly emotionally detached main character. That's kind of the way I see it, is that the cinematography isn't overly emotional. It's not overly sentimental. It's quite, it's quite brutal. It's quite harsh. It's quite simple. It sort of takes on the personality of Zuckerberg or how he's portrayed in the film. Uh, at least that's that's how I read it. Um, also, interestingly, just for anyone uh, interested in cinematography, I mean, this was this was shot digitally and and very much in the very early days of digital capture. It was shot on the Red One, and uh, which is why it doesn't have thirty five mil film grain. It's it's very clean, and I think that choice was very deliberate, especially in a time where thirty five mil was still the the dominant medium of capture, I think shooting to choosing to shoot this digitally was a very deliberate decision. 
it also complements the, the the fact that the film is about the future. The, the film about the, f- the future and about a digital world. Exactly, and so it's yeah. got that it, the, the the cleanness of of the shots, the kind of the the um, the the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, the, it's, the, it's very a kind clean. Of a, yeah, there's 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 a cleanness and there's a there's a there's quite a Spartan look to the to the yeah. to the film. It's, it's very very Spartan, distilled, simple, simple, distilled. Very very much like the kind of uh, if you think about it, the campuses of a lot of these big companies yes. are like this. They're they're clean, they're simple, they're just they're they're focused. Even the design of Facebook, that's what it came down to for me. Like the cinematography almost mimicked the simplistic design that Facebook was based upon. Mm. Whereas other websites at the time were full of pop-up ads and all this stuff. Well, Facebook's logo even mm. was very simple. Do you, do you know what the word that comes to mind is is cluttered and, and then uncluttered? Yeah. yeah. I would call the I would call the cinematography very, very uncluttered. It, it it's mm. there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, space for your eye to to just focus on the characters and and focus on the story. There's there's not a lot of distraction. Yes, and then even lighting wise, I mean, in Cronenworth's classic style, like he shot Fight Club and all these other films, he does go very dark with his lighting, and it really suits the sort of dark. It really gives it a, a darker, heavier tone mm-hmm. than if you were to choose a cinematographer who shot in a far lighter manner the, I also, the dark exposure really adds to it yeah yeah no you definitely felt that in the film yeah i also really enjoyed the number of shots that cronenworth um, filmed through windows and through screens and i thought that that was an interesting touch i'm sure it wasn't accidental yeah i'm sure that thematically there were a number of reasons why they did that mm-hmm. um you know as a as a some as an observer looking in from the outside um, it feels like what those shots do is reinforce um, the idea of a of a of a new kind of barrier between us and the world, a kind of a new screen or a new um, something that we have to look through to see people. I agree. It's also yeah. quite voyeuristic as well. Yes, and yes. even yeah, it, it's also a trademark of his style. I mean, even when I worked with him on that commercial, um, a, a lot of the shots he'd often use foreground elements or shoot through um, glass or or any other foreground uh, foreground elements that he could find really so mm. it is it is part of his style he likes to use kind of that that level of texture to to build it in yeah. i also think that the film is a very complex film on some level because it cuts between a variety of different timelines mm. and i think that for a film of this nature the cinematography had to be somewhat grounded and had to kind of a counterbalance that complexity yeah so the simplicity works really well um and it allows us to focus on the performances it allows us to keep track of this um spiraling uh, descent into you know corporate drama and again it's quite a mature story and it's told in a mature way and visually the storytelling enforces this i would say yeah yeah and and, and this i would also say that the the, the, the the traditional style of cinematography the, the kind of the locked off shots the cleanness of the movement yes, you know this very deliberate moves yeah, that follow the cameras and yeah. track their movement i yeah. think that it gives the film a kind of a sense of um gravitas it, it, it elevates the story and 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 demonstrates to the audience that this is a this is an important. This is an important story. Mm. That, that's 
Yeah. That's what I got from it. It was it it, it, it it's kind of simplicity betrays just how meaningful the film actually is. Yes, you know? exactly. And then another, maybe just quickly mentioning it, another um, technical aspect of the filmmaking which I thought was really outstanding was the way it was cut. I, th- yes. I thought I thought the sort of flow of the film, the pacing of it was was excellent. Did a really good job of intermixing these two timelines, and yet we know exactly what's going on, and it it sort of gave away just enough that it teased the audience with this future timeline where there are these court cases taking place. Uh, but at the same time, it it wasn't confusing. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I think that I just want to return to a few aspects of Sorkin's writing and just talk briefly about those. Sure. Um, I think what I really enjoyed about his writing, apart from everything that we've already discussed, is the fact that he also was able to pepper the film with really wonderful moments of humor. Uh, for example, one of my favorite moments in the film is at a Caribbean party yeah. where uh, Eduardo is wearing this ridiculous hat and outfit and you know talking about these Asian girls. And then uh, um, Zuckerberg says that he has to leave because he can't, he can't for one <laughs> moment longer look at this projection of the Niagara Falls, which he says has nothing, nothing to do with the Caribbean. Um, <laughs> it's a great scene. Yeah. And it's little moments like that, which, you know, who also does this really well is Christopher Nolan. They'll, you know, he makes very serious films, but then there'll be these wonderful moments where you smile, you laugh. And it just, it's amazing how it's, even though the moments are so brief, they really do a great job in lightening the mood mm. and providing some comic relief, lit- literal relief from yeah. a very serious story. Again, it's very subtle. It's not at all heavy-handed. It's a very subtle aspect of comedy. Yes. And it also endears us to these characters to some extent because yes. you don't want to have characters that are totally lifeless. You want mm. to hear these little jokes that that really um, get us on the same side of them. And even though Zuckerberg in this film is a pretty dislikable character i mean i would say a very dislikable character it's those little moments that make us as the audience not totally disown him and not yes. totally um yeah disown him as a character yeah i also want to bring attention to one of the aspects of um sorkin's writing which i've actually realized you find throughout the film mm-hmm. um i'm not i must be honest i'm not an aaron sorkin expert so I can't speak to the other films that he's written or the series that he's written. Um, but what you find in this film uh, is that what he does is he, 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 he uses a technique where he, he gets characters to say a variety of things to each other. And then he creates, he creates comedy and drama by having characters almost confuse the meaning of what the other person is saying with something else, or he has the character um, fail to keep up with the with the character that they are talking to. So, for example, I'll give you a good example. Um, and, and again, this can either lead to drama or this can lead to comic relief. So, for example, um, Eduardo Saverin, when they're outside the Caribbean party, uh, and Mark Zuckerberg is about to tell him about the idea for Facebook, or I think he's about he's about to ask him for a thousand dollars. I think that's it. Yes. Eduardo says to him, "My legs are shaking because it's so cold." Yes. 
And what does Mark Zuckerberg says? Mark Zuckerberg says in response, he says, I know, I'm really excited too. Yes. And that to me is a really, really great example of what Aaron Sorkin does throughout the entire movie, mm. which is he gets characters to say one thing and then he gets another character to misinterpret um, what they've said or fall behind in keeping up with what they're saying. Yes. So another which good... Which actually leads to another interpretation of what they're saying. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how you have this kind of back and forth, back and forth, and then comic relief, and then, ooh, misunderstanding. Which is drama. also very multi-layered at the same time. Yes. yes. Another example might be, for example, when they are uh, at the, in the first scene when he's talking to his, um, his girlfriend. Uh, there's a number of things that he says um, um, for example he says at one point dating is like dating a stairmaster <laughs> yeah but, a lot of these funny remarks but by the time she says that he's already moved on to something else yes yes um and and i i, I wish i wish i'd written down no, i know um, what it is it's some remark about it's it's about the clubs as well the social clubs uh i forget what it is though but i know what you're talking about you know you know what i'm talking about yes um i think being aware of this as dimension to the experience of the film because you can appreciate the dialogue and the exchanges a, bit, a little bit more yes yeah i really like it something else i, I really love about the film is the use of music and yes. again it it sort of complements we've talked about already the cinematography being very sparse and simplistic and it really complements us there's this beautiful um score which comes in very early after the that opening scene with just these sparse piano notes from Trent Reznor. And it's, I don't know, it, it, there's just, it's hard to describe why it works so well, but it, it, I, I just find it a beautiful part of the filmmaking. Well, again, I think this film's, one of the reasons I'm so drawn to the introduction of this film is that it's just so strong. Yes. So whether it's, and when I talk about the introduction, I'm referring to the opening scene in the bar, the montage of him walking to his dorm yes. room, and then the, and then the, following the, what I would call the second scene, the second real scene yes. of him building a face mash. Okay. So what we have in the, what we have in the um, moments of him walking to his dorm room where the credits are playing over the, the, the film yes. is we have this really, it's quite somber. It's somber and it's sad and it's, and it's almost nostalgic in a way. It's yes. almost, it's, yeah, I think the word somber is a great word. It's maybe even a, I mean, obviously it's to do with the fact that he's just broken up with his girlfriend, but it's also maybe, this is the last we kind of see of this old world pre-social media. Yes. That, that, that's, that's what I get. Yes. Because yeah. during that scene, while he's walking through the quad in the snow, we see couples laughing and and you know interacting with each other and all their interactions are very personal and very real and to me maybe it's this kind of love song to the this last moment before the world changed really and i think what i love about that somber tone is there's this very mature awareness there that despite the fact that this guy is about to make one of the biggest companies in the world, which should be a success story. Yes. There's a very mature awareness that there's a real dark side yeah. to this development. Which happens right at the end of the film as well. Yeah. 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 Um, and if, yeah, the next thing, the final thing I'll say about the music is, is it really helps with the pacing of the film. For example, during the face smash montage where we're intercutting between the frat party and the 
hacking session uh, or the coding session in their dorm room, um, that scene is just taken to the next level by by a brilliant score. Yeah. um, And and elevated, yeah, just to a a really exciting place. Um, The final thing that I want to say is just coming back to one of the points you mentioned in the beginning about how the first scene is connected to the last scene. Yes. I think that, uh, yeah, I actually hadn't taken note of that until you said it. Mm. But it's really quite amazing to think that the, in the first scene, we've got Mark in person talking to a real human being surrounded by other people in a bar. It's It's got beautiful, soft, yellow light. It's, it's warm. It's vibrant. It, there's life there. Yeah. And in the last... Even the sound design, it's noisy. There are people yeah, talking and yeah. chatting and it's yeah. full of life. It, it's human, yes. you know? And in the final scene, where is he? He's... Oh, in, in the this first, totally sparse... In the first scene, he's also on ground level. Yeah. You don't get the sense that he's in some high rise. Mm. But in the final scene, he's in a skyscraper. So he's literally head in the clouds disconnected from reality some sparse office no so, people surrounded surrounded by glass mm. surrounded by glass as well yeah he's uh he and his only means of communicating with people in the final scene is through the computer yeah and and the only way and he can't even communicate with that 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 character the only way that he has of interacting with her is to is to send a friend request exactly which is just so poetic i mean on a shakespearean level it's like oh god it's it's amazing and maybe finally it comes back to that point you were saying it's it's the same as when he's about to found this company and you think this is going to be a really exciting moment but there's there's just this extremely somber tone to it and it's the same at that stage facebook has just got to what 500 million users and it's the biggest company in the world and and yet what is he doing he's sitting on facebook looking at his ex-girlfriend and it's very, very somber. We cut to this very sad close-up of him as he refreshes and refreshes her page. And I think that for me personally, while that may not represent a literal truth, I think it represents a deep kind of existential truth, which is that while we may pursue our ambitions with great ideals, the reality is that on the other end, of that 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 the grass may not actually be greener on the other side yes and that the cautionary tale in this film which yes speaks to the emergence of social media but i think on a grander level speaks to human ambition and innovation in general yeah the grander message here or the cautionary tale is be very careful about the tools that you create because ironically they might pull you away from what matters most exactly which is the same as these all these big Shakespearean stories. And as I said at the beginning, it's the same as Citizen Kane. It's the same as um, The Great Gatsby. It's this char- character which ultimately is just left with loneliness. And uh, mm. that's part of the tragedy of the, of the ending and why I found it so powerful and part of the reason I think it's such a strong film. Right. Mm. It, it's the story of man's eternal... Um, quest to try and reach beyond his grasp exactly and 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 the consequences that follow as a result yes so not only is it a story about the emergence of social media but at its core it's just a powerful human tragedy and that's why i think it will be a film that people return to with immense excitement year in and year out because i i don't foresee anytime soon that it's gonna um lose its 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 uh its depth and its and its and its um, timeless yeah, quality exactly and I think yeah it's going to age very well as the as the years progress 
Cool. So um, unless you have anything else to say, maybe we should uh, start wrapping up. I think the final thing is that, that I'd like to say is that I, I encourage our listeners to go and check out The Social Network. Um, it's an absolutely fascinating film. I think that uh, each new viewing reveals a new layer. Mm, um, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And I also think that uh, I just want to speak in general to the the act of returning to films in general. I think that uh, what this experience last night taught me is that you know while we while we may have while we may think oh, I've seen this movie, I've seen that movie, uh, a second, third, fifth, fourth, I mean tenth viewing yes. can. Uh, can can really be uh, just as meaningful as the first uh, if you're if you're open to you know um, new ideas new, and new ideas insights. and engagement with it yeah and I think that's that's really the case with good art that's what separates good and bad art the ability to return to it and be revitalized because as we're humans we always come back to watching these things with new experiences based on our own lives. Um, so we're always going to bring something new to it ourselves with each each uh, watch. So yeah. I think good art is able to add new dimensions and uh, encourage thought uh, with multiple returns to it. Yeah. This actually speaks to one of the themes or ideas which I'd like us to discuss maybe in a future podcast about uh, writing. And it's this idea that the, the great stories that we remember, the stories that tap into what I like to call um, the, the eternal. And I would just classify the eternal as the, 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 the kind of the eternal, the eternal problems of the human spirit, the eternal challenges for the, for the human heart. Yes. And uh, I think that great playwrights, great writers, great filmmakers, I think that whether or not they're aware of it, they succeed in creating timeless films because they tap into that, exactly. that energy. They tap into that energy. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, I mean, that's definitely one topic for a future video. And if you guys have any other topics you'd uh, like to hear us uh, cover in a future podcast, we'd, we'd love to hear it. If you could comment in the comment section or let us know, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah, guys, your support really does mean a lot. These conversations are uh, conversations that we have regardless of whether or not we are recording them but it really does motivate us a great deal uh, to know that there are other people out there listening to these conversations being inspired and hopefully appreciating film uh, in, in, a, in a new way and the same way that we appreciate film yeah. Yeah. thank you so much for joining us this is In-Depth Film a podcast about the art of cinema my name is Greg Bucker and I'm Greg Potter and we'll see you in the next episode <laughs>